Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. Did you hear the message that the Lord gave? I didn't tell anybody what my message was this morning. Nobody knew, but God knew because he put it on my heart. What was, what was Adele talking about? She's talking about the, the harvest. What was the message in tongues? It's about the harvest. The harvest is ripe. You know, in John chapter 4, Jesus did something he normally didn't do. You know, of course he did this all the time, but, but in this particular instance, he, he had a routine. But this one particular day, they were at point A, and they wanted to get to point B. But in order to get there, Jesus took a detour. He says, I must go through Samaria. So he goes through Samaria, and, and it's a long journey, and, and as he's journeying along, he gets tired, and he sits down beside Jacob's well, which happened to be close to Samaria. And as he's sitting there, this Samaritan woman comes up to the well, and she starts to let down her bucket into the water, and Jesus said, could you give me something to drink? I'm just going to kind of read the story to you. This is the way it went down. In John chapter 4, this is the New Living Translation. John knew the Pharisees had heard, or Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptized. Making Then John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria on the way. And eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field of, of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman, surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, Now, you're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And, and besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never thirst again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and you won't have to come here, and won't have to come here to get water. And he said, go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So, Tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? And Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed is 
here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus said to her, I am the Messiah. Wow. Just then his disciples came back. And it says they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? The woman left the water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples said to each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment, this is important, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The fields are already ripe for harvest. If any of you know anything about farming at all, if you ride out through the country, you'll notice that during the springtime, which is planting time, you'll begin to see things begin to spring up in the fields and they'll begin to grow. And, and as you drive by, Occasionally, and you'll look, you'll see them grow into maturity, but something will happen if there's not a time to reap the harvest. You know what happens to the harvest? It's lost. Because it becomes, when it becomes white, you know, we sing the song, God Bless America, and we talk about the fields of golden grain, but when it becomes white for harvest, it means that you've got very, very little time to gather it before it's wasted, it's gone. And what Jesus is saying to us as a people is, it's harvest time, and the time for harvest is now. We don't have time to wait. We don't have time to make plans. We don't have time to strategize. We just got to take the strategy that's already before us, and we have to understand that we have authority, and we have power to go and to do what Jesus has told us to do. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, all authority is given unto me, so I give it unto you. Go ye therefore into all the world, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey whatever I've commanded, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. God has told us already what he wants for us to do. We have a, a mission and a commission from the Father, and that is the harvest. He is concerned about the harvest. What does the harvest represent? This woman represented the harvest. To most other people, she wasn't worth anything. The disciples would not have wasted their time on this Samaritan woman. She had two strikes against her. She was a Samaritan. She was a woman. Now Jews, a good Jew, a good rabbi, if he were a Pharisee, he would not lower his standards to speak to a woman, especially one of ill repute. Jesus knew she was a notorious sinner, five husbands, and the one she had was living with now wasn't even her husband. He knew that. But did Jesus look at her and judge her and say, you're of no value? No. He took time to tell her who he was, to show her the living water, show her the truth. He took the time. And 
as he shared with her, and, and he poured out, and she, she was taken back to it. He said, you're a Jew. You, you shouldn't have anything to do with me. I'm a woman, and I'm a Samaritan. Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. They were impure breed. Now, if you know anything about the Jewish faith, and you know anything about the Jewish traditions, and you know anything about Jewish history, you understand the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah became separated after David, under Rehoboam, his, his, uh, his grandson. Rehoboam had, had, a, had a servant, that, that he, a man who he had put over all of his servants named Jeroboam. And Jeroboam had come to him and said, your father was very tough on us. And if you would just lighten the load for us, we'll serve you forever. And he had a better, another idea. He said, well, let me consult some people first. So he consulted the elders. And the elders said, you know, Jeroboam is right. If you will lighten the load on the people, if you'll take back some of the taxes your father exacted on them, if you'll quit beating them, if you'll be good to them, they will serve you. They'll be loyal to you. But he said, well, let me, let me check it out with some of my friends, some of my peers. So he went to some of his peers, some of the guys he grew up with, and they said, you know what? Jeroboam had no business come whining to you. He said, why don't you tell them, look, my father's, my, my, my little finger is bigger than my father's waist. My father, he, he, he punished you with, with whips. I'll punish you with a cat of nine tails. I'll be even harder on you than he was. And so that brought about a rebellion. Jeroboam led the rebellion and separated the nation of, of Israel into Judah, the, north, the, the southern kingdom, and Israel, the northern kingdom. Well, Judah had Jerusalem as their capital, and now the capital of the northern kingdom was Samaria. And what Jeroboam did, his great sin was that he, he built a, an idol of a, a golden calf, and they began to worship the golden calf, and he began to set up priests who were not ordained, that were not Levites. He just chose them from the common people and made them priests over the people. This was an anathema against God. And he did this awful sin. And so the people of Israel, of Judah, saw this, and they despised the Samaritans because they saw them as impure, half-breeds, not true Jews. Though they were from their fathers, they were from the same bloodline they were. They mingled with the other nations, and they became impure. So the people of, Jew, of, of Judah hated them. They would have nothing to do with them, especially the Pharisees. So this woman had that strike against her. And so when Jesus came along and he saw her at the well, he said, woman, give me something to drink. She says, wait a minute, you're a Jew and you're asking me for a drink? You see the significance of it. But Jesus took the time to share with her and said, you know what? If you'd ask me for a drink, I would give you living water. You'd never thirst again. She said, well, let me have it. You know, give me this water so that I don't have to carry this bucket anymore. So I don't have to come back here and get this any, anymore. And so Jesus shared with her. He shared with her the way to eternal life. He revealed to her that he was the Messiah. He told her all of her sins. He already knows it. You know, the thing about Jesus, he already knows your sins. He knows everything about you. There's nothing about you that he don't know already. But you know what? In spite of it, he loves you. He loves you. He don't love any one of us any more than he loves the other except me. I'm his favorite child, so... <laughs> I love the Father and He loves me, but He loves us all the same. Isn't that awesome? And you know, when He loves us, when He starts loving us, He loved us from the very foundation of the earth. He loved us from the very foundation of the earth. 
He loved you as much then, if you were not serving him then, as he loves you now, if you're serving him with everything you've got. His love never changes, and his love never fails, and his mercy is never ending. So he came to this woman to reveal to her his love and his passion for her. He wanted, he, salvation had come to her. And then when the disciples came back, they were astonished to see him talking to this woman. And they had, they had a plan in mind. They were going to get him something to eat. So when they came back, you know, they said, Master, you got to eat something. And he said, hey, look, man, I'm so full right now. I am so full of the joy of the Lord. I am so full because my food, my meat is to do the will of the one who sent me. And, you know, when we are doing what God tells us to do, there's a satisfaction that comes with that that is nourishing. It's nourishing. It gives us strength. It gives us the ability to go far beyond our natural abilities because there's something inside of us that drives us. And when we have a passion for souls, that's the thing that keeps us going. God has a passion for souls. I want you to understand that. His passion is people. Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He came to give us salvation. I shared this with my Mexican friends down in Mexico, and I talked about soteria, which soteria is, is, is the doctrine of salvation. And what it means is, is that without a soter, we can't be saved. We are so lost, there's no way that we can save ourselves without a Savior. But God sent a son whose name happens to be Soter, Savior, Jesus. That's what his name means. Salvation has come. Jesus, the Savior, came to save us. It's like as if you fell into a well that was bottomless, and when you finally hit the bottom, you could not get out. There's no way in the world you could climb out. There's no way you were getting out. There's no other way you're going to get out except that someone comes along, and then here they come. Here comes the soter, and they see you in the bottom of the well, and they pull you out and deliver you. That's what Jesus did for us. We can't save ourselves. We're not saved by works of righteousness that we have done. It's only by his grace alone that we are saved. God has saved us through Jesus. He's given us the, 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 the way of salvation. And his food was to do the will of the Father. And then he says, wake up and look around you for the fields are ripe in the harvest. And there's some things that cannot be ignored about the harvest. Number one is the value of the harvest. There's not a soul that is expendable. There's not one single soul that is expendable. I was telling our men yesterday at our men's meeting, and, and we were talking about mercy. We were talking about Micah 6, 8, for he has shown you, O man, what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly before your God. That's what God has required of us, and we were talking about that. What does that mean? And we were talking about mercy, and it reminded me of, of, of our friends. Becky and I have some friends, Roger and Pat Gosnell, who had a son that was 20 years old, was working in a convenience store, their only son, their only posterity, the only one that could give them grandchildren, and they're working. he's working in this grocery store, and this young man comes in with a 38 and just shoots him, takes the money, and runs, and he died. And Pat and Roger were just, just torn out of the frame. This was their only son. And at first you have those natural feelings of anger at what has happened. But as they begin to process it, 
The thought came to them, forgive even as, the, as God has forgiven you. And so they understood that they had to forgive this young man. They wanted to speak to him, but the courts forbade it because they didn't know what they were going to say. They wanted to visit him in prison. When he went to prison, they found him guilty, sent him to prison. They wanted to visit him, but they wouldn't let him. But they began to pray and ask God for a miracle. And God worked a miracle so that they could go to the prison and visit this young man. And they went to the prison, they visited him, and they came to visit him. And when they brought him out, you know, he wanted to run back in. But they said, we don't mean you any harm. We just wanted to come and tell you that we forgive you. We forgive you. He knew what he had done, but they forgave him. And they said, we just came because we, we forgive you. We want to pray for you. And they prayed for him. And when they did, they said a great weight lifted off of them. And they asked if they could come back and see him again. So they started to visit him regularly. And long story short, their mercy and their kindness toward him drew him to Jesus. And though they lost a son, they brought another son into the kingdom of God. They developed a relationship with him that would have never happened had not this happened. But God had a plan. But you see, no one is expendable. God doesn't look at the, well, this person and say, you deserve to die any more than this person deserves to die. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. All of us deserve to die. As a matter of fact, we are going to. The, the latest statistics show that one out of one people die. <laughs> so what I'm saying to you is that there are people all around us, all around us that are dying every day. Some are dying of drug overdoses. Some of them are taking their own lives. Others are dying of disease. Others are, are, are just, you know, growing old and, and passing away, but nonetheless, they're dying. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. And we can look at the drug epidemic around us and we can say, oh, this is horrible. What are we going to do? We ought to pass some kind of legislation. We ought to do this. We ought to do that. Well, I want to tell you something. You can legislate all you want, but it won't change the heart. You can pass all the laws that you want to, but it's not going to deter anything. We'll find another way around it. It's not going to stop anything. The only way that's going to stop abortion, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, sexual abuse, any other kind of abuse, the only way that it's ever going to change is when the heart is changed. Because it's the very core of who we are where the change has got to take place. You and I have the answer. What is the answer? Soter, Jesus. He's the only answer. We have the answer. We have the answer for the disease. We have the answer. We have power within us. God has given us authority and he's given us power. Are we using it? Do you know how to get stronger? Exercise. That's how you get stronger. Do you know how to get stronger in the spirit? Exercise. Exercise your spiritual gifts. Stir up the gift that is within you. Stir it up. God has put something in you. And I pray that God put a passion in you for souls. That you won't stop witnessing. That you won't stop sharing. You won't stop loving. That you won't stop reaching out. 
Sometimes we get weary. But you know what the scriptures say? Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Just keep on doing it. Keep on loving. Keep on praying. Don't stop. Don't stop. Just press on in. Because the harvest is valuable. It's valuable to Jesus. When, when Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, he was talking about every people group, ethnos, every ethnic group. Go make disciples of them. What is a disciple? It doesn't go, it said, he didn't say go make converts of them. Go make them like you are. He said go make them like I am. Make a disciple. You know what a disciple is? I've told you before. You should know it by now. The disciple is a learner or one who is disposed to learn. One who has a heart and desire to learn about the one who has saved them. To learn about his ways. To learn about his truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the And I am the And he There's no other way to the Father but by me. <laughs> Tripped you up, didn't I? There's no other way to the Father but through Him. He is the way. And, and so we've got the answer right here. It's Jesus. So if you want to help somebody, you don't need to get them to rehab. You need to get them to salvation. You need to get them to the well. You need to get them to Jesus. If, if you get them to Jesus, then he can do more in just a moment than rehab or anything else can ever do. I want to tell you something. I'll tell you my story a little bit. I was talking to Daniel about it yesterday. And, and you know, I understand drug abuse. I was a drug abuser as well. I understand addiction. I was addicted. I understand those things. But I want to tell you something. The grace of God is powerful enough that if we surrender to him in just a moment, he can break the chains of addiction. He can break it. But we have to be willing to submit ourselves to him. We have to be willing to humble ourselves because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And we need grace more than we need anything else. And understand that it's the outpouring of the love and the mercy of God. And when we fall on our knees before him and we cry out to him, he hears and he answers. He answered that woman at the well. He'll answer you. And he answered me, and in a moment, in just a moment, when I was willing to let go of it, I didn't hang on to my cigarettes thinking that, well, well what about if I want one tomorrow? I took them, I crumbled them up, I threw them in the toilet. Because I got saved in my mother's bathroom, so it was, it was, it was convenient. I was in the throne room. I had mescaline in my pocket a derivative of the peyote root, and I took it. And believe me, a drug addict doesn't like to do that kind of stuff because he paid for that. It's a waste. And first thought crossed in my mind, why don't you give it to somebody else let them enjoy it? I'm like, no. <laughs> so I took it, and I threw it in the toilet. And I took, you know, about, I don't know, a quarter ounce of, of pot, and I poured it down the toilet. And what I had rolled up in my pocket, I threw it in the toilet too. And I flushed it all down. And you know, I, when I got up, I was free. I never went back. Never went back. Now, is that true for everybody? It should be. 
Because it's a matter of surrender. When we surrender to Christ, there's something that happens in us. All to Jesus I surrender, not just part of it. If you've got an addiction, you want to break the addiction, get away from the thing that causes the addiction. Don't have cigarettes laying around your house if you've got a nicotine habit. And think that you're going to break the habit because you'll know where they are and you'll go back and find them. Okay? The only way you're going to break the habit is break the habit. Get away from it. If you have a sexual addiction, don't have pornography laying around your house. Get rid of it. Get rid of the source. Find yourself somebody to be accountable to or something. You got to break it. You got to break it. You can't keep going back to it. The same with anything else, you know. And, and, and I'm, I'm meddling a little bit right now, but, you know, I think sometimes we need to hear it. The other thing is, Jesus wanted us to understand the delicate position of the harvest. The fields of the world are already ripe for harvest. Already ripe. People are hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, some may think they don't want the gospel, but they really do. Some of the people that push the hardest want it the most. I, I think I told you all about the woman that used to follow me around town. I don't know where she came from. Sometimes I think she was an angel. But I would be walking down the street, and there was a little alleyway. She would pop out in front of me. Just, there she was. I just want to tell you Jesus loves you and give you this, and she'll give me a track. And she'd want to pray for me, and I'm like, okay. And she would pray for me. And lo and behold, the next time I was uptown, if I was walking along, I would go down another street thinking I'm not going to go that way today. <laughs> I would be walking along, and all of a sudden, boop, there she was. <laughs> Same thing. And she did that. Until I gave my life to Christ. And you know what? After I gave my life to Jesus, I never saw that woman again. It makes me think I was encountering an angel or something. That God was sending a messenger. You know what the word angelos or angel means, don't you? It means messenger of God. So God was sending a messenger to tell me that you are valuable, that you are important to God. You are important to God. God wants you to know that, that you are part of the harvest. If you don't know Jesus, you're important to God. And if you do know Jesus, those people around you are important to God, and no one is expendable. The other thing is the harvest won't wait. It won't wait. If you've been praying for somebody and God's been nudging you to talk to them, talk to them now. Don't wait any longer. Don't wait any longer. I remember when I was working at Duke Energy, there was a man that I wanted to talk to, but he was such a good man. He seemed so happy all the time. And I thought, one of these days, I'm going to get around to witnessing to him. And I would see him about every other day, and we would talk, but I would never share Jesus with him. And one day, I came in to work, and I didn't see him. And I asked someone the question. I said, what happened to his name? Was, his last name was Rogers. I said, what happened to him? I said, well, you didn't hear? I said, no, hear what? He said he took his life over the weekend. I'm like, what? He didn't seem like he was depressed. He was jovial and happy, go lucky and all that. He was a hard worker. He was, and it just shook me to my foundation to think I missed out on the harvest. Someone who needed to hear about Jesus, and I didn't tell them. I missed an opportunity. 
So the harvest won't wait. Ecclesiastes 3.2 says there's a time to be born and a time to die, a, plan to, a time to plant and a time to harvest. There's a lot of effort that's been spent in sowing seed to a lot of people that's sown a lot of seed around us. You know, we live in the Bible Belt. There are a lot of people that have been hurt by church. They've been church hurt. That's not God's fault. Just, just snotty kids' fault. The people of God who have ignored those around them and came to church because I go to church because I want to get fed. And if I'm not getting fed, I'll go to another church. But we go with the wrong reasons if we go simply for that. But God has called us to serve. The responsibility of the leaders of the church is not to do the work of the ministry for you, but to equip you to do the work of the ministry. That way we can all be involved in the harvest. It's just like, it's like Denise was saying, there's a joy in serving the Lord. You ought to try it out sometime. You'll find it to be happy. You know, it's, it's a great thing to serve the Lord. In 1990, Bishop Houston Miles, who started Evangel Fellowship International, was praying, and God began to lay on him the nation of Russia. And he thought, why Russia? He didn't know any Russian people. I mean, why Russia? Why would God lay it on his heart to go into Russia? But he said it was, it was impressed upon him so strongly that they were praying and watching, and when Gorbachev tore down the wall, all of a sudden, there was an open door into Russia, and when that door opened, he started taking teams into Russia. And, and ministering, and, and people were getting saved, and, and pastors were being raised up, and they began to plant churches. And because of that, there are almost 800 churches in Russia right now that are strong churches that were founded as a result of the vision that God put on Bishop Miles' heart. And not only in Russia, but in Latvia and, and Ukraine as well. But you see, we've got to have a vision for the harvest. In Matthew chapter 4, it says that in verse 30, 34 or 35, it says, And Jesus looked upon them, upon the multitudes, and he had compassion upon them, because he saw them as harassed and sheep without a shepherd. And he said, Pray ye the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into the fields. That word send forth is the word we use. It is, is the Greek word apostello. Do you know what apostello means? Apostolic to apostle. So God is apostling every one of us. He's sending us forth. You have the clarion call on you, everybody here. Everybody say, I am apostled by Christ. He has sent you into the harvest field. Where is the harvest field? It's all around you. It's at your home. It's at your workplace. It's at the bus stop. It's at Walmart. Those people that, that sometimes we laugh at and we snicker at and we, 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 we make jokes about their attire or the way they're dressed or whatever. We put them on Facebook. Those are people. They're people. They're part of the harvest. The people that, that may not be able to speak as eloquently as you would like or, or maybe they smell bad. Or maybe you see them at the post office and they're asking for a buck. Or some spare change. You know what? They're hurting people. They need Jesus. They're part of the harvest. So 
I'm asking you to, to do one thing. Pray, number one. Pray for the harvest. Pray ye, Jesus said, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the field. You know what happens when you begin to pray ye, Lord of the harvest? The Lord of the harvest begins to say to you, I send you. Go, I send you. I send you. Every one of us have a responsibility. And when we stand before the Lord, we will give an account for what we've done with our lives and what we've done with the lives of others around us. Every one of us. And I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. I'm just laying some truth on you. It's not about being guilty because all of us are guilty. But I mean, I don't think any of us go to the extent that we do everything we possibly can do unless we know that our time is running out. Then we have a sense of urgency. Well, I want to give you a sense of urgency. Time is running out. Time is running out. I uh, spoke to Jim Riley on Friday. And Jim Riley, if you don't know who he is, he's a prophet that's spoken to us about this building, about a lot of other things. And when I got him on the phone and he heard my voice, he immediately said, your church is getting ready to make another turn. You know, I mean, he didn't even, he knew immediately who I was, but that's the first thing came out of his mouth. He says, your church is getting ready to make another turn. He said, God is getting ready to do something incredible in your church. And the incredible thing that would bless me more than anything is to see every one of these seats full. To have to go to multiple services where we can be preaching and teaching the Word of God and seeing miracles take place. The miracle of salvation is the greatest miracle that could ever happen to a soul. To see someone come to Jesus is the greatest miracle that can ever, ever happen. But the bonus is when you see people healed and delivered and set free by the power of God. That's the bonus. And there are a lot of other bonuses that he has for us, but I want to see those things happening here. One thing that I hate is the mundane, or as we say, the status quo. You know what status quo means, don't you? It means the mess we're in. And we don't want to maintain the status quo. We want to go beyond that. We want to excel. We want to go farther. And every one of us can be a part. You know, everything that you do for the Lord, everything you do for Him is a contribution to the harvest. You're giving, you're serving, you're praying. All of the things that we do help us to spread the gospel, to, to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. You sending me on mission trips, and thank you, by the way, and sending others on mission trips and helping establish churches is a part of reaping the harvest. And that's what God has called us to do. And thank you for your part. Thank you for your service. But if you know somebody that doesn't know Jesus, I implore you, I beg you, don't wait. Talk to them. Tell them the seriousness of where they are. Tell them that there's a better way. Tell them that there's life in Jesus. Tell them if they drink of him, they'll never thirst again. Tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. Tell them about Jesus because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. I implore you. I beg you. Get involved in reaping the harvest. Will you bow your heads for just a moment? You know, I'm thankful we have a, a great crew here that does a lot. And everything that we do 
everything that we do here has a purpose. CLST is, is to help people to grow and to and develop their ministry, their calling, and, 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 and to, to have the knowledge of Christ and the things that God wants them to understand about Him. The things we do in our Sunday school classes, the things we teach from the pulpit, the people that we bring in, all has a purpose. And that's to help you and equip you for the harvest. It's so important. And Lord, we pray right now, Lord of the harvest, we pray. God, that you would touch every one of our hearts, Father, this morning and help us to understand the importance. Lord, you said, Father, to forsake not the assembling together of yourselves and encourage you one another and so much the more as you see that day approaching. Lord, help us, Father, not to forsake ourselves. But when we come together to understand that there's a unified strength and purpose here, that two working together can accomplish so much more than one. And so, Lord, I, I pray, Father, for the church first. But I pray for us as individuals, Father, that we will accept the call that you placed upon us to be involved in the harvest, to say, Lord of the harvest, Send forth laborers into the field. And Lord, if I am one of those that are to go, then Father, send me. Send me. I'm willing. I'm ready to go. And I thank you for the opportunity to serve you, Lord. While every head is bowed and nobody's looking around this morning, I want to ask the question of each of you this morning. Where do you stand with God? Where do you stand with Him? Are you one of those who've made a commitment to Christ and you understand what I'm talking about? You drank of that living water and you understand what it's about, but maybe you're one of those who have not yet tasted. It says in Psalm 34, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You'll never know the goodness of the Lord until you taste it for yourself. I can tell you about it. Others can tell you about it, but it doesn't make any difference until you experience it for yourself. So if you're here this morning and you have not made a commitment to Christ, but you understand that there's something tugging at your heart right now and you don't know what it is and, and, and you just feel like you just feel like your heart's going to beat out of your chest right now. I just want you to understand it's just the Spirit of God drawing you because Jesus said, no man comes to me unless he's drawn by the Spirit of my Father. And so Lord, I just ask you right now to draw people to yourself. So if you're here this morning, maybe you feel like God brought you here for purpose. Well, the purpose was he wants to personally introduce himself to you this morning to get acquainted with you. So if you're here this morning without Christ and you would like today to be the day that you make your acquaintance with him, that you set things right with God, I just want you to lift your hand for just a moment and you can just slide it right back down. I want to pray for you. That's all I'm going to do, okay? I'm not going to ask you to come up here and get embarrassed or anything else. I'm just giving you an opportunity to know Christ. That's you this morning. Just slide your hand up right, right quick, and you slide right back down, okay? Or just look at me. How about that? Just look at me. Thank you. If you want to know about Jesus, just, just look at me. Thank you. Just look up at me. I'll know. Thank you. I want to pray for you this morning as I said I would. Anyone else? I'm not going to belabor the point. I want to be respectful of your time and that kind of, all those things, but this is important. So if you want to know Christ this morning, now is your opportunity to meet him. So would you just look at me? Okay. Well, let's pray. Would everyone please pray with me this morning? God in heaven, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. 
in need of a Savior. I can't save myself. I've tried, but I fail every time. But I thank you that you've provided a way of salvation for me. And it's through your Son, Jesus Christ. And I acknowledge with my mouth and with my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you have raised him from the dead, and that he is the Savior of the world. And I claim him as my Savior right now. And I thank you, Father, for accepting me as your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, I want you to tell somebody about it. You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.